Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning, everyone. This is Kennard speaking. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. I know many of you um, that listen to me, you know that I start the program at uh, 10.30 a.m. I made a mistake last night and put 10.30 p.m., so I apologize. So I had to schedule for 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I hope that does not inconvenience anyone. Uh, You can always listen to these programs in the archives anyway, so 24-7. Well, before I get into the topic of this Bible study, which is something that we've all had a problem with, we want to be honest with ourselves, uh, being able to um, control our emotions and and avoiding arguments, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, a significant article that came through um, CNN Money. It's very important that I tell you about this because not too many people understand what's going on with the economy and the way things are going with the overall structure of society in terms of economics. The name of this article is uh, by CNN Money is um, Worsening Wealth Inequality by Race. And it's by Tammy Luby, uh, CNN Money. Uh, it was uh, put on the website, their server, on June 21st, 2012, their web server, where they have uh, um, documents, Internet documents and so forth they put on their web server. Anyway, it says New York, CNN Money. It says white Americans have 22 times more wealth than blacks. Again, let me uh, stress that again. It says uh, white Americans have 22 times more wealth than blacks, a gap that nearly doubled during the Great Recession. I would like to call it another Great Depression. That's what it really is, folks. But anyway, the median household net worth, net worth is defined as income that you have left over. What am I trying to say here? Net worth is income that you have left over after your expenses and expenditures have been paid for. So, the median household net worth for whites was $110,729 in 2010 versus 4995 for blacks, according to recently released Census Bureau figures. Now, it's probably even worse uh, than that now, currently. Now, it says the gap between the races widened considerably during the recent economic downturn, which whites weathered better than blacks, Hispanics, and Asians. Again, let me uh, underscore this and emphasize this again. 
The gap between the races widened considerably during the recent economic downturn, which whites weathered better than blacks, Hispanics, and Asians. The latter three groups saw their median household net worth fall by roughly 60% between 2005 and 2010, while the median net worth for white households slipped only 23%. This allowed whites to leap ahead of Asians as the race with the highest median household net worth. Now, this is interesting. This economic problem that we're having right now has affected whites, too, but it really has affected Hispanics and blacks and slightly Asians. Well, it's affected Asians, too, but when I look at this uh, racial wealth gap chart, and I, I implore everyone that's listening to me right now to, if you are have access to the Internet, to go ahead and Google this, uh, worsening wealth inequality by race, and then you'll be able to find the article. And look at this uh, graph yourself. Uh, this is done by a credible organization here, and it's sad. Uh, when you look at the, the graph, whites really aren't struggling as much as everyone else. And then you have Asians at 69590 net worth, and then Hispanics 7424 and blacks 4955 So th this is really, really bad here. And it says right here the... Main reason blacks and Hispanics did not fare as well during the economic downturn is that home equity makes up more of their wealth than it does for whites. The housing bubble that preceded the collapse pushed up home ownership rates among blacks and Hispanics who rely more heavily on high-cost subprime loans to finance their purchases. So these are loans that have higher interest rates. So it, this is a, this is a, this actually this report can be found at the Pew Research Center. Uh, they did a report on this, and you can Google that as well. But it says right here, having less wealth and home equity means it will be more difficult for blacks and Hispanics to send their children to college, which gives them a leg up on landing good jobs, says Roderick Harrison, senior research scientist at Howard University, or is supposed to give them a leg up. Uh, Basically, what you need to do if you're going to go to college is you should major in software engineering or in a degree that's been proven to generate income. So he said this will further extend the wealth gap. He says the implications will be with us into the next generation, which will have greater difficulty in getting the kinds of jobs needed to start saving and building wealth. I mean, this is all sad, folks. I mean, this is all sad. And it says right here, blacks and Hispanics are also less likely to have assets in the financial system, such as savings accounts or stocks. So that means that a lot of blacks and Hispanics don't have any savings. They don't have any savings. And it says the widened wealth chasm could have major ramifications going forward. So, again, this is very important, this gap, this divide could have major ramifications going forward. And, you know, the Bible prophesizes about this. It says over here in uh, Proverbs, let's turn our Bibles here to Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. Verse 14. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 14. It states, There is a generation whose teeth are as swords and their jaw teeth as knives, as in the King James Version, to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men, 
ladies and gentlemen, we are living in that generation right now. And then the good news is that God is not going to tolerate this uh, for too much longer, folks. Uh, Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 1, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, shall suddenly come to his temple, which means the temple has to be built for him to come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 2. But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. This is talking about his second coming, not the first. I know this was applied correctly to his first coming, but also this has a second fulfillment, uh, the final fulfillment of him coming in his second coming. Verse 3, And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi, who supposed to be teaching the people the truth of God, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. So that means that, that offerings will be restored. They're not done away with, as people are incorrectly teaching. Verse 4, Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord, as in the days of old, as in the former years. Verse 5, now this is the verse I wanted to come to. And I will come near to you to judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, and against the adulterers, and against false swearers, and against those who oppress the hireling in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and that and that turn aside the stranger from his right, and fear not me, says the Lord of hosts. And let me see if I can read this in uh, an easier translation here. Verse five, and the well, let me let me see if I can find another one here. Easy to read version. Malachi three verse five. This is an easy to read version of the Bible. Then I will bring you to justice. I will be an expert witness and testify against or about the evil things people do. I will speak out against those who do evil magic or commit adultery. I will speak out against those who make false promises and cheat their workers and don't pay them the money they promise. I will testify against those who don't help strangers or widows and orphans, and I will testify against those who don't respect me. So he's going to come, and, and, and this money problem, he's aware of it, and he's going to come, uh, and he's going to solve this issue with money, folks. Uh, in James 5, verse 1, in the easy-to-read version of the Bible, you rich people, listen, cry and be very sad, because much trouble will come to you. Verse 2, your riches will not will rot and be worth nothing. Your clothes will be eaten by moths. Verse 3, your gold and silver will rust, and that rust will be a proof that you were wrong. That rust will eat your bodies like fire. You saved your treasure in the last days. So this is a prophecy that's uh, targeted for the last days. Verse 4, people worked in your fields, but you did not pay them. This is what Malachi 3, verse 5 is talking about. They are crying out against you. They harvested your crops. Now the Lord all-powerful has heard their cries. Verse 5. Your life on earth was full of rich living. And there is uh, slavery uh, in the world right now. People are uh, being taken as slaves and, and, and used uh, and treated like animals, even now. Verse 5. Your life on earth was full of rich living. You pleased yourselves with everything you wanted. You made yourselves fat which is an interesting scripture, like an animal ready for the day of slaughter. So rich people have a tendency to be fat, folks. And, you know, in this country, you have the, uh, some of the fattest people in the world. Verse 6, and we have the richest people in the world here in this country, and the most billionaires. Verse 6, you showed no mercy to good people. They were not against you, but you killed them. Brothers and sisters, be patient. The Lord will come. 
So be patient until that time. Look at the farmers. They have to be patient. They have to wait for their valuable crop to grow and produce a harvest. They wait patiently for the first rain and the last rain. Uh, you must be patient, too. The last rain occurs uh, during the time of Passover, April, March, and, and the first rain occur, occurs during uh, September, October. You must be patient, too. Never stop hoping that the Lord is coming soon. So he's talking about the Lord coming in a time of worldwide economic crisis, the time that we're living in today. So, and he says in verse 9, Brothers and sisters, don't complain against each other. If you don't stop complaining, you will be judged guilty, and the judge is ready to come. So he's ready to come, folks, uh, and he will be coming soon. I just can't tell you time. But I know that this is the generation that he was referring to. This is the nuclear bomb generation. I've explained that in the two prior Bible studies uh, that I gave. So let, let's understand that, and um, let's help one another and through these tough economic times, folks, because things are not going to get any better. As long as we're printing money out of thin air and the U.S. Treasury Department is printing out currency that is not backed up by any gold or silver hardly, uh, then we're going to continue to have this issue and problem. The value of the dollar is going to go down, which means that merchants and business people have to charge more money to make more money because the value of the dollar is going down, and that's going to cause inflation. So I'm just warning you that, uh, you know, the Bible prophesied about this as well. When you turn to Revelation chapter 6, uh, the third seal. It says in our, um, verse 5, Revelation 6, verse 5, The Lord opened the third seal, then I heard the, the third living being say, Come, I looked, and there before me was a black horse. The rider on the horse held a pair of scales in his hand, which has something to do with economics. Verse 6, Then I heard something that sounded like a voice. The voice came from where the four living beings were. It said, A quart of wheat or three quarts of barley will cost a full day's pay. But don't harm the supply of oil and the wine. So this is economics, and uh, as, as uh, Christ stated in Matthew chapter 24, that there will be famines, or starvation in various places worldwide. And we are having that worldwide, folks. And it's only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. All right, so let's get to the, uh, the subject of this Bible study, is how to control anger and avoid arguments. So we have all, if we want to be honest with ourselves, we've all had a problem with controlling our anger. And uh, we, we have to get a grip on that, folks. We, we have to learn how to do that to, to truly get along with people and to truly learn how to love people. Because if you can't control your anger, then you're going to have some serious problems with life and dealing with people. And so let's turn to some scriptures here to get a, a good foundation on what I'm going to talk about here. And I'm going to use, uh, when I have to, uh, some easier translations uh, of English so that you can really understand what these scriptures are saying here. So first, I'm going to go to Ephesians 4, verse 6. Ephesians 4, verse 6 in the English in the easy-to-read version of the Bible, Ephesians 4, verse um, 26, I'm sorry, verse 26. It says, when you are angry, don't let that anger make you sin, and don't stay angry all day. And so you shouldn't be harboring anger about something continuously uh, as a human being. Sure, God is angry with the wicked every day, but he's God. I mean, God can control his anger, but we 
are not God, and we're human beings, and if we let anger harbor with us consistently, it's not good. Verse 27, don't give the devil a way to defeat you. And that's how the devil can defeat you when you don't control your anger. Verse 48, whoever has been stealing must stop it and start work. Well, that has nothing to do with what I was talking about here. Let me uh, jot down to verse 29. It says, when you talk, don't say anything bad. So when you talk, you're not supposed to say anything bad to people because that provokes people to anger when you do that. Uh, what it's talking about is putting people down and so forth. That's why I have to talk about emotional abuse because most people don't understand that that's abuse, emotional abuse. But that's what it's talking about here. But say the good things that people need, whatever will help them grow stronger. Calling people names and insulting them is not going to help them grow. It says, then what you say will be a blessing to those who hear you. Uh, verse 31, never be bitter. So we should never be bitter, angry or mad. Never shout angrily or say things to hurt others. Never do anything evil. Never do anything evil. Verse 32, be kind and loving to each other. Forgive each other the same as God forgave you through Christ. And, you know, I was making a point to my wife today, and I think I've told my son this too, that whenever we sin, what is sin? Sin is the transgression of the law, 1 John 3, verse 4. For those who don't know where that scripture is at, 1 John 3, verse 4. Uh, sin is the transgression. It says right here, uh, in the easy-to-read version, anyone who sins breaks God's law. Yes, sinning is the same as living against God's law. And so whenever you are against something, you are arguing with that whatever you're against. Now, whenever we sin, I don't know if you realize this or not, but you're arguing or you have contention with God because you're saying, wait a minute, God, no, I don't agree with your ways. I want things my way. And when you do that, then you're actually arguing with God. You're arguing with God when you do that. So that that is important that we must control our anger and we, we must avoid the type of arguments and disagreements that, that cause strife. We have to do that because if we don't do that, um, we're going to cause very serious problems with people that that we claim we love and, and, and people that we're trying to love. So it's, it's very important to, to get a grip on that and, and learn how to control your anger. Now, let me um, try to find some other key scriptures here. Okay. So I'm going to begin with Proverbs 29, verse 9, and this is in the uh, easy-to-read version of the Bible again. But this is a pretty good scripture. Now, realize that God is calling any one of us fools. I'm not calling you a fool because we're commanded not to do that, but God certainly can call us fools. So when I read these scriptures, realize I'm just reading the scripture. That is God who says that if you act a certain way that you're a fool. I'm not saying that. Uh, in Proverbs 29, verse 9 is in the easy to read version of the Bible. It says, if someone who is wise tries to settle a problem with a fool, the fool will argue and say stupid things and they will never agree. And believe me, I can relate to the scripture. Boy, can I relate to the scripture. Um, um, well, mainly individual that I have issues with, but <laughs> this scripture is a, a live scripture to me. And it says, if someone who is wise tries to settle a problem with a fool, the fool will argue and say stupid things and they will never agree. And and this is a very, very significant scripture because we, we first of all have to understand 
who is a fool? You know, what's the Bible definition of a fool? All right, well, let's turn to Proverbs chapter 1 and find out. Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. Okay, let's see. Well, actually, let's turn to yeah, Proverbs chapter one, verse seven. Proverbs chapter one, verse seven, to 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 get the definition of, of, of who a fool is. Uh, Proverbs one, verse seven says, "The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge." Colon, but. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You ever see a colon? It's a continuation of the thought. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Colon. Continue the thought. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the Bible definition of a fool is someone who does not want to be corrected. Someone who despises wisdom and instruction. That's the Bible definition of a fool. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. So again, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, colon, continue the thought. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments, colon, continue the thought. His praise endure forever. So this is Proverbs 1, verse 7. If you have a pencil, write it down. Psalm 110, verse 10. This is all in the King James Version of the Bible. Now, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And in Proverbs uh, chapter 8, verse 13, this is all in the English Standard Version of the Bible. says, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. So when you're angry at somebody that's being wicked, that's, that's righteous anger. But you still have to control that, too. And notice that he hates or does not like pride and arrogance and the way of evil. And the way of evil is sinning and not obeying God and perverted speech, which is insulting people and, and saying bad things to people. God doesn't like that. He doesn't appreciate that at all. So we understand what the definition of a fool is. So let's, as somebody who doesn't want to be told anything, that... that despises wisdom and instruction and, and also somebody who despises the word of God doesn't want to be told what to do by the word of God so that's the Bible definition of a fool not my definition so let's go back to um, the scriptures I was quoting about uh, avoiding strife and, and, and disagreements that are full of strife basically now let's turn to uh, Proverbs 29, verse 11. Proverbs 29, verse 11. In the easy-to-read version of the Bible, fools are quick to express their anger. So the Bible calls any one of us a fool when we're quick to be angry. We're being fools when we act that way. But wise people are patient and control themselves. Proverbs 29, verse 11. So fools are quick to express their anger. But wise people are patient and control themselves. Control themselves. Uh, Proverbs chapter 12. 
I highly recommend you study the book of Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes on a daily basis. It has so much wisdom in those two books alone. Proverbs chapter 12, starting in verse 15, in the easy-to-read version of the Bible. It says, fools always think their own way is best. <laughs> I can relate to this one, too. Fools always think their own way is best. But wise people listen to what others tell them. God says you're not being very wise and you're being a fool if you don't listen to people, if you don't listen to what people have to say. If you write a letter to somebody and say, well, if you don't agree with me, don't respond back, that's not being very wise. That's not being very very wise. I've had cases like that where I'm trying to reason with an individual who I love very much, but they won't listen to me. They won't listen to what I have to say. And listening is not just listening to the words, but trying to understand. And if you take a course of communications, they'll tell you that listening really means not listening to the words, but understanding what those words are. When God tells you to hear Hebraically, that means to understand. And in verse 15, it says, fools always think their own way is best. But wise people listen to what others, and they try to understand what others tell them. And if you're not doing it, the Bible calls you a fool. Verse 16, fools are easily upset, but wise people avoid insulting others. Okay? That's Proverbs 12, verse 16. Fools are easily upset. All you got to do is say one thing and they get upset. You know? But wise people avoid insulting others. Okay? You have to avoid insulting others. That's the type of uh, strife that causes unrighteous arguments and disagreements. And we have to avoid that. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 3. Proverbs 20, verse 30. And the easy-to-read version of the Bible. People who refuse to argue deserve respect. And the King James Version says honor. Let me actually see what is so I think is a decent translation in the King James. It is an honor for a man to cease from strife. That's what, and strife, uh, Hebraically, means anger. And it says, but every fool will be meddling. Will, will be meddling. So, you know, that, that that's what that scripture is talking about there. And Hebraically, yes, it means pleading, strife, striving, that's controversy or anger. That's what that's referring to. But every fool will be meddling, obstinate. But back to the uh, easy-to-read version of the Bible. It says, people who refuse to argue deserve respect. Any fool can start an argument. Any fool can start an argument, and that's what fools tend to do. They start unrighteous arguments, arguments that don't make sense. They have no purpose other than to irritate people and upset them. Uh, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 22. And this is in the contemporary English version of the Bible. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 22. A person with a quick temper stirs up arguments and commits a lot of sins. Again. In the contemporary English version of the Bible, a person with a quick temper stirs up arguments and commits a lot of sins. And these are, again, unrighteous debates uh, that have the Bible, the Bible is not in the center of it at all. And the King James Version states, 
An angry man stirs up strife, and a furious man aboundeth in transgression. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10. Pride, and then the King James Version says, only by pride. And it says, pride causes arguments, but those who listen to others are wise. Again, listening, trying to understand what someone is telling you. That is very important for people to do. And when you don't try to understand somebody, that's sin, folks. That's total sin when you don't try to understand what somebody's trying to tell you. That's only respect. And to be able to try to understand, you have to listen to them and really seek to understand what that individual is talking about. If you just totally interrupt them while they're trying to talk to you, which the Bible says is foolish to do, is to interrupt somebody while they're trying to speak to you, then then you're not going to be able to understand that person. You're not going to be able to properly understand that person. Uh, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 14. And this is in the easy-to-read version of the Bible again, for clarity's sake. The start of an argument is like a small leak in a dam. Stop it before a big fight breaks out. And, of course, it's talking about, again, the type of arguments that are evil arguments, arguments that put each other down, that are insulting, that uh, you're saying things to provoke that person to anger. Those are the type of disagreements that is talking about here. Those are the type of disagreements that's like a small leak in a dam. Stop it before a big fight breaks out. And the reason why a fight is breaking out is you're going back at each other and, and hurting each other. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 6. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 6. Fools say things to start arguments. <laughs> they are just asking for a beating. And, of course, common sense should tell you the type of arguments that fools start are arguments that provoke people to anger, that provoke people to anger. Though there, There's a right way to have a disagreement, and there's a wrong way to have a disagreement. I'm talking about the wrong way first, and we're going to talk about the right way. Um, but Proverbs 18, verse 6, you, you should all, number one, seek not to have disagreements, but... Even Christ said uh, offenses will come. So if offenses are going to come, then we need to learn how to deal with those offenses. And there's some rules in the Bible that I'm going to go over today, how to deal with disagreements in the right way by coming to each other, seeking to really try to understand each other, and using the Bible as your final authority. That's the right way to have disagreements. But still, the overall goal is to use the Bible to both agree, because the Bible fixes arguments the Bible destroys arguments. The Bible will help people come to an agreement. Okay. Because it's our final authority on what's right and what's wrong. And people say, well, I don't believe that. Well, I don't care what you believe. That's what the Bible states. The Bible is the foundation of all knowledge. The Bible, fear, the fear of God, which has something to do with, with believing his words, all of his words, living by his words, and Matthew 4, verse 4, is the beginning of knowledge. If you don't understand that, then you're going to have disagreements not only with God, but with humankind. Okay, the overall goal, when God the Father comes back and lands his feet on this earth, everyone is going to be in agreement with each other. There's not going to be any disagreements at all. That's the overall goal. That's the overall goal of a husband and wife, to totally 100% agree. I know that's difficult, but that's the goal. 
Okay, uh, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. And this is an interesting scripture. This is an interesting scripture indeed. An easy to read version of the Bible. Proverbs 10, verse 12. Hatred causes arguments. Hatred causes arguments. Again, hatred causes arguments. What does that word mean in the original Hebrew? Well, it means hate, exceedingly hate, real strong hate. Hate is a great dislike for somebody. Hatred causes arguments, but love overlooks all wrongs. It overlooks all wrongs. And then I'll just add this here. It's in verse 13. It says, intelligent people speak words of wisdom, but fools must be punished before they learn their lesson." So let's let's all learn to be intelligent and not have to be punished before they learn, before we learn a lesson. Okay. Um, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 8. In the easy to read, no, actually, um, in the English Standard Version of the Bible, Proverbs 15, verse 18, says, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, or contention, but he who was slow to anger quiets contention. So the overall goal is to quiet contention. Run away from it. Don't embrace it. Get away from it. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 22. In the English Standard Version of the Bible, man of wrath stirs up strife. And one given to anger causes much transgression. So if you know you have somebody who can't control their anger, it's best not to be around them because you'll end up, uh, you know, bad company corrupts good character. And if you're around somebody who's argumentative all the time and can't control themselves, eventually you're going to start to act that way. You need to get away from them. Uh, Again, uh, there's a scripture that people that, I don't know, I, I try to tell people about this scripture, and it's true what it's saying about, being around bad company. It says um, in, in the English Standard Version of the Bible, do not be deceived. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, and it's interesting that it said do not be deceived because you are deceiving yourself if you think that bad company does not do anything to your morals. It says right here in the English Standard Version of the Bible, do not be deceived or tricked, colon, contain it out. Bad company ruins good morals. So if you're around somebody that doesn't take God serious, you talk to them a lot, they don't take God serious, uh, that's going to affect your your overall mor- morality. I know. I tried it. It will affect you eventually. No matter how strong you think you are spiritually, if you're around bad company, it's going to affect you eventually. It will affect you, and it will rub off on you. And this is God's words, and I think God is definitely smarter than us. He knows better than us. So we all can't fool ourselves and think that we can just uh, and then right here, First Corinthians 15, verse 33, in the English, the easy-to-read version of the Bible, says, Don't be fooled. Bad friends will ruin good habits. That's a marvelous translation of that scripture. In First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, Don't be tricked by false words. Evil company does damage to good behavior. That's even a better translation of that scripture. 
Please remember 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. God tells us to come out of Babylon. Come out of the wickedness of this world. Don't be attached to this world. Which leads me into another scripture before I forget. Because the Bible gives us a plain reason why arguments have started in the first place. Uh, in James 4, verse 1. Let's turn to James 4, verse 1. In the, in the basic, the, the, um, I'm going to read this in the uh, Bible and basic English version, for clarity's sake. says, what is the cause, well, actually, let me read this, um, okay, in the easy-to-read version of the Bible, and the King James Version says wars, but really an argument is a war when you think about it. <laughs> it's like, hey, I'm against you, I don't agree with you, so it's a war. It's fighting. Uh, James 4, verse 1, do you know where your fights and arguments come from? They come from the selfish desires that make war inside you, verse 2. Again, this is talking about unrighteous arguments. Verse 2, you want things, but you don't get them. So you kill and are jealous of others. But you still cannot get what you want, so you argue and you fight. You don't get what you want because you don't ask God. Verse 3, or when you ask, you don't receive anything because the reason you ask is wrong. You only want to use it for your own pleasure. And that is, that's the case with a lot of times with these ridiculous arguments. It's all a bunch of selfishness when you really get down to it. Verse 4. You people are not faithful to God. You should know that loving the world, and this is what a lot of these arguments have something to do with, loving the world, it says you should know that loving what the world has is the same as hating God. So anyone who wants to be friends with this evil world becomes God's enemy. So, you know, this, this is in the context of arguments. Verse 5, do you think the Scriptures mean nothing? The Scriptures say the Spirit God made to live in us wants us only in us wants us only for himself. Verse 6, but the kindness God shows is great. As the scripture says, God is against the proud, but he is kind to the humble. Verse 7, so give yourself to God, stand against the devil, and he will run away from you. And in verse 8, come near to God, and he will come near to you. You are sinners, so clean sin out of your lives. You are trying to follow God and the world at the same time. Make your thinking pure. Be sad, be sorrowful, and cry. Change your laughter into crying. Change your joy into sadness. Be humble before the Lord, and he will make you great. And it says in verse 11, it says, Brothers and sisters, don't say anything against each other, which is arguments. If you criticize your brother or sister in Christ or judge them, you are criticizing and judging the law they follow. And when you are judging the law, you are not a follower of the law. You have become a judge. God is the one who gave us the law, and he is the judge. He is the only one who can save and destroy so it is not right for you to judge anyone, and that means taking, acting like no one can change. You've already made it up in your mind that this person is not going to change. That's Only God can make that kind of ruling, folks. We're still supposed to make righteous decisions, which is evaluating, but we're not. it's not our place to condemn people, and that's what it's talking about here. Okay. In Proverbs 17, verse 19. A troublemaker loves to start arguments, loves to start, he loves debates, loves to get people upset. That's the kind of person you better stay away from. And it says anyone who likes to brag is asking for trouble. So uh, if you know any troublemakers, and I'm sure you probably know some, stay away from them. All they're going to do is get you upset, get you angry, and get you frustrated. 
Proverbs chapter 9, verse 7 and 8. In the easy-to-read version of the Bible, Proverbs 9, verse 7 to 9, says, Criticize a person who is rude and shows no respect, and you will only get insults. Oh, boy. Believe me, I understand that one. Correct the wicked, and you will only get hurt. Verse 8. Don't correct such people, or they will hate you. So this is a commandment. If you know somebody who's stubborn, who don't want to listen, who's rude and doesn't respect you and insult you, don't try to correct them. Because I know from experience, they will hate you. <laughs> Don't correct such people or they will hate you. But correct those who are wise. And who's the wise? Those who fear God and, and keep his commandments. They will love you. And then verse 9, teach the wise and they will become wiser. Instruct those who will live right and they will gain more knowledge. Those are the kind of people I want to correct. Those who want to live right. Not those who act like they're the authority and that whatever they do is right. I don't want to correct those type of people because I'm going to get a blot. The King James Version says a blot, and this version says that they will hate you. So, you know, it's, it's, it's sad, but, but it's true, folks, and we have to learn how to not to, – to, we have to learn how to avoid arguments. That's what we have to learn how to do. Now, there's a scripture uh, that tells us to argue our case with our neighbor himself. So what is that talking about? Well – if you have something against someone, then there is a way to remedy it without insulting them and putting them down and hurting them, okay? And Proverbs 25, verse 8 to 9 shows us how to do that. Now, I want to talk a little bit about emotional abuse. I don't know if I'm going to get to that today, but anyway. Well, yes, I can. Um, if this program cuts off, then you know I will have more time, and it will be on recording, so if it does cut off, then I'm just going to say what I need to say. It's going to probably take about an hour and 15 minutes. I try to get these Bible studies around an hour, but sometimes I can't. And if uh, all of a sudden I go off the air, just realize that whatever I said, you'll be able to hear in the archives after, after the program is done, okay? But anyway, um, Proverbs uh, chapter 25, verse 8 to 9, in the easy-to-read version of the Bible, don't be too quick to tell a judge about something you saw. You will be embarrassed if someone else proves you wrong. And in verse 9, if you want to tell your friends about your own problems, Tell them, but don't discuss what someone told you in private. So that's in the, okay, wait a minute. Here's a better translation of that. It says, do not hastily bring in a court for what you will do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame. Verse 9, argue your case with your neighbor himself and do not reveal another secret. So what does that mean? Because I just got you talking about that we shouldn't argue. Well, there's cases where you're going to have offenses or disagreements. And this is the way our Lord and Savior said we should deal with them. Not yelling and screaming and hollering at each other and insulting each other. That's not going to solve the problem. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, and bringing back each other's past sins and, and, and getting yourself all upset. Believe me, I know. I've done that, and I've reaped the consequences of it. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. In the easy-to-read version of the Bible. Now, this, this applies to people that are believers that seek to obey God. Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother or sister in God's family does something wrong, go and tell them what they did wrong. So we're supposed to, when someone's done something wrong, there, there's contention, there's dissension there. So what needs to be done, you need to go to them privately and tell them what they did wrong. Do this 
when you are alone with them. This is the Lord's words in red letters in the King James Version. If they listen to you, and that's the key, if they listen to you and, and they understand you, then you have helped them to be your brother or sister again. Verse 16, but if they refuse to listen, they, if they refuse to understand you, go to them again and take one or two people with you. Then there will be two or three people who will be able to tell all that happened. And verse 17, if they refuse to listen to them, tell them to the entire assembly or people that assemble to obey the true God. And if they refuse to listen to the church, treat them as you would treat someone who does not know God or who is a tax collector. So those are the rules to deal with conflict. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. This is very illuminating here in terms of uh, the fact that the Bible is the foundation of all knowledge and we should use it for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 when one of you has something against, and this is in the Easy Read version, when one of you has something against someone else in your group, why do you go to the judges in the law courts? He's talking about the, the uh, secular uh, law systems that we have, governments. The way they think is and live is wrong. That's what your Bible says. The way they think and live is wrong. So that's what your Bible says. So getting back to the Easy Read version of the Bible, so why do you let them decide who is right? Why don't you let God's holy people decide who is right? So God expects us as his holy people, his set-apart people, to understand what's right and wrong because we study the Bible and live by it, or supposed to anyway. Verse 2, don't you know that God's people will judge the world? So if you will judge the world, then surely you can judge small arguments like this. Verse 3, you know that in the future we will judge angels, so surely we can judge life's ordinary problems. Verse 4, so if you have such matters to be judged or for things to be made a correct decision on, why do you take them to those who are not part of the church? They mean nothing to you. I say to this to shame to you. Surely there is someone in your group wise enough to judge a complaint between two believers. And that's what this is all about, the right way to go about solving a disagreement, righteous debate, okay, without insulting or putting people down or hurting people. Verse 6, but now one believer goes to court against another, and you let people who are not believers judge this case, which is kind of stupid. People who don't even understand the word of God, you're going to let them make decisions for you? That doesn't make any sense. Verse 7, the lawsuits that you have against each other show that you are already defeated. It would be better for you to let someone wrong you. It would be better to let someone cheat you. Okay, so anyway, I'm, I'm showing you that, that scripture to, to help you to understand that if you call yourself a believer, then you must use the word of God to solve your disputes and arguments. It's not going to be done any other way. Or you have to go to someone that is a believer of God and can prove it by uh, their actions and, and their knowledge of the scriptures. And Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 states this. You have known or were supposed to know the Holy Scriptures since you were a child. These scriptures are able to make you wise. There's nothing else is going to make you wise ultimately other than the scriptures, folks. And that wisdom leads to salvation or eternal life through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, all scripture, and at the time that this was written, folks, all the scriptures was just the Old Testament or the Tanakh, as the Jews say, the, the Old Testament. All scripture is given by God, and that means the Old and the New. And all scripture, uh, the Old Testament and New Testament, I don't like calling it the New Testament, I call it the Renewed Covenant Scriptures or the Apostolic Scriptures. All Scripture is given by God, and all Scripture is useful for teaching and for showing people what is wrong in their lives. 
It is useful for correcting faults and teaching the right way to live. Using the scriptures, those who serve God will be prepared and will have everything they need to do every good work. And that's what I base my life on, folks. I base my life, and you should be basing your life. Anyone else that claims to be a believer should base their lives on the Bible. The Bible is your final authority. And Matthew 4, verse 4, in the easy-to-read version of the Bible, it says, Jesus answered them, the scriptures say it is not just bread that keeps people alive. Their lives depend on what God says. And then Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, in the King James Version, it says, but he answered and said, it is written, and this is the Lord's word speaking, so please pay attention. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And he means exactly what he's saying, folks. And every... Uh, word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, as I just read to you earlier in 2 Timothy chapter uh, 3, verse 15 to 17, is the Old Testament and New Testament. Both. It's not one or the other. So we have to understand that, and you have to use the scriptures to settle arguments. If you don't use the scriptures to settle arguments, then you never will settle the argument, because the scriptures are, is your final authority. If you don't understand that, then you're not a true believer, you're a pretender, and you're going to have to face the, face the consequences of that. Okay, uh, Hebrews 8, verse 12. Part of the, one of the major things that we all must learn how to do when we have arguments and contentions with one another is the following. In uh, Hebrews chapter, and this is a part of the new covenant, uh, the new agreement to keep the law. Uh, Hebrews chapter, in other words, uh, having the Holy Spirit should help you be able to do this. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, in the, in the English uh, Standard Version of the Bible, it says, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. So if God is willing to remember our sins no more as we repent, we should be willing to do the same. We should be willing to do the same to um, to forget people's sins and, and, and to uh, learn how to love our enemies. And I want to go over that here. I wanted to go over emotional abuse. I'm going to go over that too. So I'm going to have to go over a little bit on this program, so um, you won't be able to listen to me in about nine minutes, and then after that, realize that you'll be able to access this program in the archives, but I must complete this and probably take about uh, maybe an extra 15 minutes, but it's very important, and I need to get this out because this is some truth I don't think too many people are aware of and how to uh, treat people that disagree with you, that are your enemies, basically, because an enemy is someone who uh, disagrees with you and, and doesn't like you and so forth, and and how how do we treat them? All right, well, let's understand what true love is, first of all, because many people don't understand that. They don't understand what true love is, is all about. And they say, I love you and all that, but I don't think they really understand what you're saying. First um, Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 1. This is in the contemporary English version of the Bible. What if I could speak all languages of humans and of angels? If I did not love others, I would be nothing more than a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Verse 2. What if I could prophesy and understand all secrets and all knowledge? And what if I had faith that moved mountains? I would be nothing unless I loved others. So do you see that love has a whole lot more to do than what you know and, and so forth and uh, it has a whole lot more to do than that. Verse 3, what if I gave away all that I owned and let myself be burned alive? I would gain nothing 
unless I loved others. So you can give all your goods to the poor, as the King James Version says in that verse. But if you don't have love, what good is it? Verse 4, love is kind and patient, is never jealous, is is not boastful, is not proud or rude. Love isn't selfish or quick-tempered. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs that others do. And this is a common trend when people are, are you know, arguing and contending against one another in the wrong way. Uh, a lot of selfishness in it, and, a lot, and, and you're quick-tempered, and you keep a record of wrongs. Not to uh, help solve the problem and come to love each other, but to, to insult each other and to put each other down. That's wrong. That's wrong to do that. And verse 6, it says, love rejoices in the truth. What is truth? Truth, John 17, verse 17 says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And then in Psalm 119, verse 142, thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth. So the law of God is the truth, folks. And then what is righteousness? Psalm 119, verse 172, my tongue shall speak of thy word, colon, continue to thought, for all thy commandments are righteousness. All right? So we should rejoice in the law of God, but not in evil. Verse 7, love is always supportive, loyal, hopeful, and trusting. Love never fails. Everyone who prophesies will stop, and unknown languages will no longer be spoken. All that we know will be forgotten. We don't know everything, and our prophecies are not complete. So that's what love is, folks, the willingness to deal with people, the willingness to, to deal with their sins. In 1 Peter 4, verse 8, in the New American Standard Bible version, it says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. You shouldn't want to reveal people's sins. You should want to cover them up. Matthew 5, verse 44, in the King James Version of the Bible, But I say unto you, love your enemies. I love people that don't agree with you. That's what your enemy is, basically, people that continually disagree with you and, and, and express it through hate and sometimes violence. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Matthew 5, verse 44. Ladies and gentlemen, that's true love when you can do that. Romans chapter 12, verses 18 to 21, the King James Version. Bless them which persecute you. Colon, continue the thought. Bless and curse not. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Which means, in some cases, it's not possible, and I can understand that one. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. That's how you deal with people who disagree with you. Be good to them. Overcome uh, their hate with good, if you can. But the Bible says, if it be possible, as much as life, you live peaceably with all men. So we know there's cases where it's not possible, that people are just so wicked and and insulting that you just got to get away from them. No matter what you do to them. I know an individual, no matter what I do for him, it's not good enough, you know, so it's unfortunate. First Peter 3, verse 9, the easy-to-read version of the Bible. Don't do good to anyone. Don't do wrong. In the easy-to-read version of the Bible, First Peter 3, verse 9, don't do wrong to anyone to pay them back for doing wrong to you. 
or don't insult anyone to pay them back for insulting you. That's what happens in the majority of the time when we have arguments. But ask God to bless them. Do this because you yourselves were chosen to receive a blessing. And then Psalm 119, verses 165 to 166, and the easy to the uh, the English Standard Version of the Bible. Great peace have those who love your law. Great peace. The law is a, the teachings of God and the doctrines. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. So it's very important, folks, to learn how to love our enemies. I mean, we, we have to be like our Father in heaven. Uh, if we don't try to be like our Father in heaven, then we have a problem. And then we must all learn how to forgive each other and forget sins committed toward us. Over here in uh, Matthew 18, verses 21 and 22. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? And then Jesus said unto him, I say unto you, until seven times, but until seventy times seven. So many times should we forgive somebody. That's what he's saying in Matthew 18, verse 21 and 22. And then let's, let's understand something here for those who refuse to forgive people. Mark chapter 11, verse 26. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. All right, so, you know, you better be careful being self-righteous and so forth. If you don't want to forgive anybody, then he's not going to forgive your sins. Because we all got sins. He, all, he tells us all to repent. Colossians 3, verse 8, in the King James Version. But now you also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. And in this context, it's talking about the unrighteous type of anger, the kind of anger when you want to hurt somebody, not the kind of anger that you'll have if somebody's doing something wicked to you. Even in that case, you still should try to control that anger. Okay? And, and don't allow it to, to, to have harm. On you or others. Now, this is something I need to talk to because a lot of fathers have a problem with this type of anger. And I've done this a few times in my son, so, and I know when I stopped doing that, uh, it was all for the better good. So, Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 4, and this is in the um, Bible and basic English version of the Bible. I have a minute and 21 seconds. I'm going to be cut off soon here, so I uh, realize that the rest of this Bible study will be in the archives. Okay, so Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says, Children, you belong, okay, sorry, in the, in the Bible basic English version here, it says, Children, do what is ordered by your fathers and mothers in the Lord, for this is right. So that means as long as your fathers and mothers are obeying the Lord, you should do this. Verse 2, and if it has nothing to do with breaking the commandments, then you should obey your parents. Verse 2, give honor to your father and mother, which is the first rule, having a reward. Verse 3, so that all may be well for you and your life may be long on the earth. Now, verse 4, and you, fathers, do not make your children angry, colon, continue the thought, but give them training in the teaching and the fear of the Lord. And I know many fathers today have not done this. They have not raised their children in the ways of God. I've done that. And my son is a decent, actually, an above-average human being because of it. And all credit goes to God. All I did was obey him. Let me show you here what I did. This is what I did, and this is something that any father can do. If you have a Bible, blow the dust off of it, get it out of your closet, and start doing this if you haven't been doing it yet. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, 
verse 4. It says, give here, O Israel, and it's not just to Israel, it's for anyone that attaches himself to Israel. Uh, the Lord our God is one Lord, verse 5, and, and the Lord your God is to be loved with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, verse 5. Verse 6, keep these words which I say to you this day deep in your minds or hearts, verse 7, teaching them to your children with all care, talking of them when you are at rest in your house or walking by the way when you go to sleep, and when you get up. So that's what I did with my son I and my wife. We taught our son, teaching him with all care. And what we did, we did this. We teaching them to your children with all care, talking of them when you are at rest in your house or walking by the way, when you go to sleep and when you get up. Many fathers have not done this. And so what happens is that they raise sons and daughters, and their sons and daughters don't do this to their children. And the cycle continues on and on and on. And it's just a prophecy that, that reveals this here uh, in Jeremiah chapter uh, 16. Jeremiah chapter 16, starting in verse uh, 19. In the, in the um, Bible, and basically in his version, Jeremiah 16, verse 19, O Lord, my strength and my strong tower, my safe place in the day of trouble... The nations will come to you from the ends of the earth and say, The heritage of our fathers is nothing but deceit. So it's talking about past generations. Fathers, they, the reason why it's nothing but deceit because they didn't teach their children properly, even false things in which there is no profit. So that's a prophecy to tell us that fathers and sons aren't, that they don't understand the truth of God like they should because unfortunately, the majority of fathers and sons have been taught incorrectly. And in Malachi chapter 4 is a prophecy, is an end-time prophecy. In verse 1 it says, For see, the day is coming, it is burning like an oven. I end my program with an audio version of this whole chapter for a reason, to try to wake people up to reality. All the men of pride and all who do evil will be dry stems of grass, and in the day which is coming they will be burnt up, says the Lord of armies, until they have not a root or a branch. Verse 2, but to you who give worship to my name, the Son of Righteousness will come up with new life in his wings, and you will go out playing like young oxen full of food. Verse 3, and the evildoers will be crushed under you. They will be dust under your feet in the day when I do my work, says the Lord of armies. This is in the uh, Bible in basic English version. Verse 4, keep in mind the law of Moses, which is the law of God, which people claim that's nailed on the cross, and it's not. My servant, which I gave him in the horde for all Israel, even the rules and the decisions. Verse 5, see, I'm sending you Elijah the prophet before the day of the Lord comes, the great day, greatly to be feared. Verse 6, and it's talking about the literal day when Yeshua, or Jesus, lands his feet on the Mount of Olives, and I explained that in the prior program that I did. Verse 6 of Malachi chapter 4. And by him, the hearts of fathers will be turned to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers. Now, notice that the father has to lead this. He has to initiate it. Okay? It's the father's responsibility to turn their hearts to their children first. And by him, the hearts of the fathers will be turned to their children, and the hearts of their children to their fathers, for fear that I may come and put the earth under a curse. But this will happen. Uh, fathers and sons will reconcile. That's a prophecy that tells you that they will, and they're going to reconcile by embracing the law of Moses and by obeying the law of God, which is the law of Moses anyway. Okay, so that, and, and this scripture in the Bible, 
basic English version, Ephesians 6, verse 1 to 4. Uh, I want to focus on 4 here, Ephesians 6, verse 4. And you fathers, do not make your children angry, but give them training in the teaching and fear of the Lord. So you understand that if you don't teach your children properly, you're not fulfilling this this commandment here. And in Colossians 3, verse 21, Colossians 3, verse 21. It says, Fathers, do not be hard on your children, so that their spirit may not be broken. That's in the the Bible Basic English Version. And then in the Contemporary English Version of the Bible, it states this. Colossians 3, verse 21. Parents, don't be hard on your children. If you are, they might give up. So we we can't over-discipline. And this is what I wanted to go over here. Emotional abuse. And this article can be found on Focus on the Family. If you do type in FocusOnTheFamily.com, Life Challenges, uh, you go in there, you, you click on, um, let me go there now so I can show you. This is a very good article, and I really suggest you read it. Focus on the Family. All right, when you go to the Focus on the Family website, you'll see a uh, menu bar at the top, or not a bar, but a, a section. And then go ahead and click Life Challenges. And then click uh, on the left, Abuse and Addiction. And actually, uh, when you click on Abuse and Addiction, another box will pop up and then go down to go where it says Understanding Emotional Abuse. And then when you... Go to that page. You can you, on the, on the right. Uh, go to the frequently asked questions or FAQs about emotional abuse and click that. And I'm just going to read a little bit of this uh, from Focus on the Family. It says, "Learn about the destructive nature of emotional abuse and how to find hope and healing." It says, and this is by Mary J. Yerkes, Y-E-R-K-E-S. It says, "What are the characteristics of emotional abuse?" Emotional abuse is any non-physical behavior or attitude that controls, intimidates, subjugates, demeans, punishes, or isolates another person by using degradation, degradation, humiliation, or fear. Degradation, I'm sorry. Yelling, screaming, and name-calling are all forms of emotional abuse. And this is what usually occurs in arguments, is yelling, screaming, and name-calling. That's the type of arguments that God is talking about that we need to avoid. As are more subtle tactics such as refusing to be pleased with anything, isolating an individual from family and friends, and, and validating another's thoughts and feelings. And that's the type of anger that God wants fathers to not provoke their children to have, that type of anger. Examples of emotionally abusive behaviors include humiliating and degrading, discounting, distorting, and negating, accusing and blaming, isolating, withholding affection and emotional support, withholding financial resources, demissive, disapproving or contemptuous looks, comments on behavior, threatening harm to an individual's pets, possessions, or persons. The effects of emotional abuse are often debilitating. They include depression, confusion, difficulty concentrating and making decisions, overwhelming feelings of worthlessness, and that's what the Bible says when you in Colossians 3, verse 21, when we... Uh, do that to our children, we, we become discouraged. So we have a feeling of worthlessness. I, I know I felt that way uh, in the past. Um, hopelessness and poor physical health. Poor physical health. 
It says, what is the difference between emotional abuse and occasional outbursts of anger? It's important to distinguish between emotional abuse and an occasional outburst of anger, cautions Dr. Margaret J. Rink, author, speaker, and Christian counselor who specializes in treating abuse victims and abusers. Everyone has a bad day once in a while and responds with a harsh or negative word. Emotional abuse is an ongoing pattern of behavior designed to control, manipulate, and subjugate another that usually occurs behind closed doors. Speaking in anger is different than Ruth's experience. When I set the table for dinner, my husband would come into the kitchen, walk around the table, and adjust the placement of the silverware, plates, and glasses, saying, someday you'll get it right, or maybe not. So that's an example of emotional abuse, folks, a very deceptive way, but nonetheless, that's an example of emotionally abusing someone. It doesn't sound very nice. Is that encouraging? Someday you'll get it right, or maybe not. I mean, that, that that's that's not encouraging, and it doesn't. it's insulting to say something like that. Why does one person abuse his spouse, friend, or relative? While the reasons for emotional abuse are complex, most experts believe it is rooted in unresolved childhood trauma. They are in as much pain as their victims, uh, only they don't realize. I know one individual, his mother died at age 15, and I have problems uh, relating, I have a, a relationship with him. So obviously there's some truth in this. It says, while the reasons for emotional abuse are complex, most experts believe it is rooted in unresolved childhood trauma. They are in as much pain as their victims, only they don't realize it, explains Dr. Rink. It takes a great deal of effort and professional guidance for an abuser to overcome his destructive patterns of behavior. What does the Bible say? Well, nowhere in Scripture does God sanction any kind of abuse. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I just read that to you. God tells us what love is and what it is not. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And I know the self-seeking, it means, well, I'm angry and I'm hurt. I, 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 all you're doing is focusing about your pain and, and how hurt you are. What about the other person? Are you caring about how they feel? No, you're just totally focusing on yourself and how hurt you are. Uh, it says it keeps no records of wrong. It always protects. And this is in the uh, First Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 7. And it says in regards to abuse within marriage, some misinterpret Ephesians 5, verse 22, and let's turn to that here, because uh, I think I know what this is referring to here. It says, a wife should put her husband first as she does the Lord. Well, that doesn't give right for a husband to browbeat and beat, emotionally abuse his wife. You know, leadership should be in love, not in hate or putting your wife down, saying unpleasant things. You know, I, I've been guilty of that, and I'm repenting of that, you know, um, and... Uh, me and my wife both have been guilty of that, and uh, we are taking these words seriously, and, and we're going to work on our marriage, and it's going to even be a better marriage than what it, it is now. So I'm just being humble and being honest with you. you know, we all got issues and problems, and you know, marriage is like roses among thorns, and no one has a perfect marriage, and I don't either. It's a good one, but it can be a lot better. So anyway, uh, let's be clear. Scripture reveals that the marriage relationship is to reflect Christ's relationship with his church, one of sacrificial love, a wife is called to respond to her husband's biblical headship, not to his destructive and sinful behavior, just as the wife's mandate is to respect her husband. God never condones abuse. And it says, can survivors of emotional abuse find help and hope? Yes, you can. You can find help by going to this Bible, folks, and talking to people like myself who have experience in this. And let me just quote this from this article. It's a beautiful article. You were created to have emotional freedom. 
inner peace and strong self-esteem. And what that I call that is, is confidence in, in God's confidence in the, your God-given abilities. That's what self-esteem is. Emotional abuse has undermined God's plan for your life, your joy, and your peace. But what others have sabotaged, God can rebuild. So I hope that you understand the damaging effects of emotional abuse, and I hope you understand that you must avoid people who emotionally abuse you. Uh, in most cases, that falls under the guidelines of it's not possible to be at peace with that that type of individual that totally uh, wants to just abuse you and say things that is not true and, and to say things that are just downright full of hate. Those kind of people aren't seeking peace. They're just selfishly trying to seek a resolution to their own problem, and they're taking it out on you, and that's not right. So anyway, uh, let's go to another scripture. Let's look at Christ's example as we close here in First Peter chapter 3, because he's, he's the ultimate example. Well, actually, I'll start in First Peter 2, verse 1. Stop being hateful. Quit trying to fool people and start being sincere. Don't be jealous or say cruel things about others. That's not right to do that, to say cruel things about others. That's, that's, that's not right. It's not right at all, folks. And uh, so let's go here and let's understand this. First Peter two verse thirteen. I'm reading this in the contemporary English version of the Bible. The Lord wants you to obey all human authorities, especially the emperor who rules over everyone. Now keep in mind, you should obey these human authorities if it doesn't violate God's commandments. Uh, there's one scripture that says we ought to obey God rather than men. So, well, actually, let me turn to that because that's a very important scripture for you to understand here. So, let me turn to that scripture here. Yeah, Acts 5, verse 29 states, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. So, we obey these authorities these human authorities as long as it doesn't violate God's law. But when it starts to violate God's law, that's when we have to draw the line. So God is always the final authority or should be the final authority in everything that we do. So turning back to 1 Peter chapter 2, reading this in the complete, uh, not the complete, but the uh, contemporary English version of the Bible. Actually, I'll read this in the complete Jewish Bible version here. Okay. And then first Peter two verse fourteen, or to governors as being sent by him to punish wrongdoers. So God has allowed these these uh, secular institutions to punish people. Just think if we didn't have the police or we didn't have the army, <laughs> none of us would be able to survive. So he set those things up and we must obey those authorities as long of course as long as uh, what they want us to obey is not conflicting with his law. Verse 14, oh, to the governors is being sent by him to punish wrongdoers and praise those who do what is good. Verse 15, for it is God's will that your doing good should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. 
Verse 16, submit as people who are free, but not letting your freedom serve as an excuse for evil, which many people are doing today. They're using their freedom as an excuse to do evil. Rather, submit as God's slaves. Verse 17, be respectful to all. And that means fathers being respectful to their sons. And, and of course, vice versa. Keep loving the brotherhood, fearing God and honoring the emperor. Verse 18, household servants, submit yourself to your masters, showing them full respect, and not only those who are kind and considerate, but also those who are harsh, those who are treating you bad. You, you, know, you, you, you must learn how to take the punches, so to speak. Verse 19, within reason, for it is a grace when someone, because he is mindful of God, bears up under the pain of undeserved punishment. Verse 20, for what credit is there in bearing up under a beating you deserve for doing something wrong? But if you bear up under punishment, even though you have done what is right, God looks on it with favor. Now, if you're around somebody that knows how to push your buttons, and you know that's going to provoke you to anger, you need to get away from that. Only if you're strong to do it. And I know for this particular person, he knows how to push my buttons, and I know that if I don't, if I don't stop talking to him, I'm going to lose control. So if you know that, you're supposed to flee any situation that's going to cause you to sin. Verse 21, Indeed, this is what you were called to because the Messiah too suffered on your behalf, leaving examples that you should follow in his steps. It's talking about following the steps where he endured insult, uh, people insulting him and so forth. Verse 22, He committed no sin, nor was any deceit found on his lips. When he was insulted, he didn't retaliate with insults. When he suffered... He didn't threaten, but handed them over to him who judges justly. Okay, so that's the example that we must follow, ladies and gentlemen. And I hope you understand that, yes, we should be angry, but we should, should not sin. Uh, all fathers out there and mothers, you should not provoke your children to anger or anyone else to anger. And I hope you understand the importance of emotional abuse, that you must avoid it at all times. And most of all, I hope you understand that the Bible is the foundation of all knowledge, and we can all come to agree if we use the Bible as our final authority. And it, it reminds me of some scriptures I want to quote, too, in closing. They're beautiful scriptures for us to understand uh, and about loving our enemies. Okay, Matthew um, chapter 5, verse 41. Well, actually, I start in verse 40. Well, actually, uh, verse 39. But I tell you not to stand up against someone who does you wrong. On the contrary, if someone hits you on the right cheek, let him hit you on the left cheek too. Now, this is not talking about literal let somebody hit you, but it's telling you, it's saying that you should tolerate somebody as much as possible. Don't be quick to argue with them. We've already gone over the scriptures. Don't be so quick to argue with somebody and, and to just be against somebody. You should not be quick to do that. Verse 40 in the complete Jewish Bible version. If someone wants to sue you for your shirt, let him have your coat as well. Verse 41 If of Matthew chapter 5. If a soldier forces you to carry his pack for one mile, carry it for two. Verse 42. When someone asks you for something, give it to him. When someone wants to borrow something from you, lend it to him. Verse 43, you have heard that our fathers were told, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Verse 44, but I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Why? Because in verse 45, then you will become children of your father in heaven. For he makes his sun shine on the good and bad people alike. People sin against him and disagree with him on a daily basis. And he still blesses those who disagree. We must follow that example and also bless uh, those who um, 
may curse us and put us down and those that hate us. We should feed them and clothe them. That's true love, folks. For he makes his sun shine on the good and the bad people alike, and he sends rain to the righteous and the unrighteous alike. We have to follow our Father's example. And I know a person right now says that I'm selfish and all that. You know, well, if I'm selfish and if I'm wicked, then are you following this scripture? Well, it states that uh, regardless of, of how bad I am, you should still have mercy and help help me. Help me. Anyway, if you can, verse 46, what reward do you get if you love only those who love you? You don't get any reward for that, folks. We don't get any reward if you just love people that just love you. That's just selfish. That's not really love. Why, even tax collectors do that. Verse 47, if you are friendly only to your friends, are you doing anything out of the ordinary? Even the goyim or the pagans or people in the world do that. People, pagans, are people who don't obey God don't care about obeying God. Verse 48, therefore be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. That means complete. So I, I want you to understand, because I don't think most people understand these words that he's saying here. They're so significant and so life-changing. In Matthew 5, verse 46, he states, What reward do you get if you love only those who love you? Let me stress that again. What reward do you get if you love only those who love you? In verse 47, and if you are friendly only to, to your friends, are you doing anything out of the ordinary? So God, for us to express true love, we have to love people who don't love us, love people who disagree with us, love people who are enemies and want to fight us. Those are the people that we must love. Why? Because God loves those people. He loves those people. And we have to learn how to love. He gave his, his only son for those people. And we must, have, we must do the same thing. And then in Luke chapter 6, we must follow his example. I'm going to read this whole thing here because this, this is very significant here. I'm going to read this in a complete... Let me see... In the contemporary English version of the Bible, I'm going to read this here for clarity's sake. Starting at Luke chapter um, Luke chapter six verse twenty, and I'm going to read this, and, and then you'll you'll get the point. I mean, this is uh, our Lord's words in the King James version is in red letters. Luke six verse twenty. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, "God will bless you, people who are poor." His kingdom belongs to you. Verse 21, God will bless you, hungry people. You will have plenty to eat. God will bless you, people who are crying. You will laugh. Verse 22, God will bless you when others hate you and won't have anything to do with you. God will bless you when others hate you and won't have anything to do with you. I know because I've been blessed. God will bless you when people insult you and say cruel things about you, all because you are a follower of the Son of Man. Verse 23, long ago, your own people did these things to the prophets. So when this happens to you, be happy and jump for joy. So people hated the prophets. You will have a great reward in heaven, verse 24. But you rich people are in for trouble. You have already had an easy life, verse 25. You well-fed people are in for trouble. You will go hungry. You people who are laughing now are in for trouble. You are going to cry and weep, 
verse 26, you are in for trouble when everyone says good things about you. This is what your own people said about those prophets who told lies. Verse 27, this is what I say to all who will listen to me. Colon, love your enemies and be good to everyone who hates you. Be good to everyone who hates you. Verse 21, ask God to bless anyone who curses you and pray for everyone who is cruel to you. Verse 29, if someone slaps you on one cheek, don't stop that person from slapping you on the other. In other words, tolerate as much as you can. If someone wants to take your coat, don't try to keep back your shirt. Verse 30, give to everyone who asks and don't ask people to return what they have taken from you. Verse 31, treat others just as you want to be treated. Verse 32, if you love only someone who loves you, Will God praise you for that? Even sinners love people who love them. Verse 33, if you are kind only to someone who is kind to you, will God be pleased with you for that? So let's repeat this one in the contemporary English version of the Bible. Six, Luke 6, verse 33, if you are kind only to someone who is kind to you, will God be pleased with you for that? Even sinners are kind to people who are kind to them. Verse 34, if you lend money only to someone you think will pay you back, Will God be pleased with you for that? Even sinners lend to sinners because they think they will get it all back. Verse 35, but love your enemies and be good to them. Lend without expecting to be paid back. Then you will get a great reward and you will be the true children of God in heaven. He is good even to people who are unthankful and cruel. We have to be the same. We have to be uh, We have to be good even to people who we think are unthankful and cruel. Verse 36, have pity on others, just as your Father has pity on you. Verse 37, Jesus said, don't judge others and, and God won't judge you. He's talking about condemning people, not making righteous decisions. Uh, don't be hard on others and God won't be hard on you. Forgive others and God will forgive you. Verse 38, if you give to others, you will be given a full amount in return. It will be packed down, shaken together, and spilling over into your lap. The way you treat others is the way you will be treated. Remember that. The way you treat others is the way you will be treated. Verse 39, Jesus also used some sayings as he spoke to the people. He said, can one blind person lead another blind person? Won't they both fall into the ditch? Verse 40, are students better than his teacher? But when they are fully trained, they will be like their teacher. Verse 41, you can see the speck in your friend's eye, but you don't notice the log in your own eye. Verse 42, how can you say, my friend, let me take the speck out of your own eye when you don't see the log in your own eye? You show off. First, get the log out of your own eye, then you can see how to take the speck out of your friend's eye. Verse 43, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit. And it's talking about your behavior. And a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. Verse 44, you can tell what a tree is like by the fruit it produces or is the human being's behavior. You cannot pick figs or grapes from thorn bushes. Verse 45, good people do good things, behavior, because of the good in their hearts. Bad people do bad things because of the evil in their hearts. Your words show what is in your heart. Verse 46, why do you keep on saying that I am your Lord when you refuse to do what I say? Verse 47, anyone who comes and listens to me and obeys me is like someone who dug down deep and built a house on solid rock. When the flood came and the river rushed against the house, it was built so well that it didn't even shake. Verse 49, but anyone who hears what I say and doesn't obey me is like someone whose house wasn't built on a solid rock, and as soon as the river rushed against that house, it was smashed to pieces. And remember, too, that in Acts 5, verse 32, 
in the contemporary English version. It states, we are here to tell you about this, and, and so is the Holy Spirit, who is God's gift to everyone who obeys God. Uh, that's a bad translation there. In Acts 5, verse 32, it says, the Holy Spirit, it says ghost, but it's the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to them that obey him. So um, if you don't obey God, he's not going to give you the Holy Spirit to understand the scriptures. So you have to learn how to do that. And another thing you have to understand, when you choose this way of life, folks, it's, it's not the popular way of life. Matthew 5, Matthew 7, rather, verse 14. You need to understand something here. In the King James Version, it says, Because straight is the gate, narrow is the way which leads into life, and few there be that find it. Because of false prophets, oops, uh, Matthew 7, verse 13, Enter ye into the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many people there be which go in therein. Verse 14, Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leads into life, and few there be that find it. And it means exactly what it's saying. I like the uh, the Bible in basic English version. It's a real good translation. Matthew 7, verse 13. Go in by the narrow door, for wide is the door, and open is the way which goes to destruction. And great numbers go in by it. Verse 14. For narrow is the door, and hard the road to life, and only a small number make discovery of it. So this is the difficult way of life, folks, but there's great reward. Uh, it really is great reward. I, I think maybe I'll talk about that next week. What is the reward for us uh, obeying God? You know, because there's great reward. God is a just God. And he's going to reward us for putting up with a lot of stuff. And then John chapter 7, verse 7 states this. It is not possible for you to be hated by the world, but I am hated by it because I give witness that what it does is evil. And so not only does he say that the world hates him, Yeshua, or Jesus, the world also hates his followers. I'm going to prove that to you here if I can find a scripture here. So it's very important to understand that. And the reason why the world hates his followers is because they obey Yeshua. And what Yeshua teaches, or Jesus teaches, is contrary uh, to what um, traditional Christianity teaches, unfortunately. And uh, John 15, verse 18, it says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Verse 19, If you are of the world, the world will love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So I can relate to this scripture. I know most people don't like what I stand for. I stand for the truth. I stand for the law of God. And I, and I follow my Lord and Savior to the best of my ability. And people don't like that. The majority of people don't like that. And I've been despised because of it, but hey, uh, this scripture states plainly that through much tribulation, uh, you will enter the kingdom of God. So you, you have to take up your cross. In Matthew chapter 10, he said that we have to take up our cross. Acts chapter 14, verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples in the King James Version and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must, through much tribulation or problems or difficulties, enter into the kingdom of God. So I want to end with that and to go over again to summarize, it's okay to be angry, but we should minimize the anger. It should be righteous indignation, and we should not let it cause us to lose control, call people names, insult them, and emotionally abuse them. I went over emotional abuse, uh, and emotional abuse is wicked and is evil. Um, 
quite a few fathers have done that to their children and have discouraged them, and it's something that should be avoided. And the solution to all this is to teach yourself and your children the ways of God and use the, the, the law of God, the teachings of God, as your final authority. If you do that, then you're going to go a long way, or you're going to go, you're going to have, what am I trying to say? You are going to, in a major way, start to learn how to agree with one another, if you can do that in your in your families, in your communities. Realize that the, the true way of life, the only way of life, is the way of God, as John chapter 14 states here, verse 6, in closing. Jesus said to him, I am the true and living way. No one comes to the Father but by me. And another scripture, we must follow his example in 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 6. Verse 6, this is an excellent translation. He who says that he is living in him will do as he did. So we must do as he did. And King James Version says, follow, uh, it says, uh, he that's in 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, states, He that abided in him himself also to walk, even as he walked. And one of the things that Jesus did, he kept the Sabbath. He walked to a Jewish synagogue and kept the Sabbath. Uh, in most cases, we can't go to a Jewish synagogue because uh, they would kick us out because uh, we believe that Yeshua is a Messiah. But we should assemble. We should not forsake the assembly of one another. And we should assemble and keep the Sabbath and holy days like Yeshua did. So anyway, to be able to stop arguments, you have to use the Bible. But we have to realize the whole goal is to agree. Uh, in closing, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it reminds me of a scripture, verse 10. This is the goal. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, and that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. That is the overall goal of not only the assemblies of God, but eventually of humankind. We all are going to have to come to an agreement uh, in the Bible in basic English version of the Bible. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. Now I make request to you, my brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you will all say the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, so that you may be in complete agreement, in the same mind and in the same opinion. So that is the overall goal, and the only way we're going to be able to do that, folks, is by using the Word of God as our final authority. May God bless and keep you, and I hope this Bible study will be of great help to you to solve your conflicts and to solve your disagreements uh, with uh, people in your family and with people that you work with and people that you're around. May God bless and keep you, and God willing, I'll be available to you next week.